Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and we're excited to bring you another in our series of health IT interviews. Today's topic is synthetic data, something that's new to me. Uh, I don't know much about, so I think we're going to all learn together. And our guest is from jo- is Josh Rubel. He's chief commercial officer at MD Clone. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me, John. Great to be here. Yeah, so uh, before we dive into learning about synthetic data, and I mean, we know about data and healthcare, there's lots to talk about there, but tell us a little bit about yourself and MD Clone. You bet, John. So uh, again, I'm Josh Rubel, and I am the Chief Commercial Officer at MD Clone. Uh, I come to MD Clone with about a 20-year background in healthcare IT, uh, working primarily with provider organizations on uh, deploying, installing, having success with large-scale IT projects, enterprise-level projects, spanning from EHR to RevCycle uh, to computer-assisted coding and all in between. Uh, I joined MD Clone about uh, a little bit more than a year ago uh, as we're beginning our North American uh, uh, growth phase. Uh, MD Clone is uh, an Israeli company. It's based in Beersheba in Israel and it's been around since the end of 2016. Um, recently, MD Clone has expanded in North America with a team, a commercial team, a customer success expansion, and then a marketing effort uh, and we've uh, added uh, nine, going on 10 now, new uh, enterprise clients uh, in wow. North America. Uh, so it's been a fun ride uh, since, uh, uh, since I joined. And I'm excited to talk about both synthetic data, but also the kind of framework and the, the kind of data landscape associated with healthcare operation, healthcare innovation, and where, where we fit in, or where we, we feel like we can fit in in the future. And I'm happy to answer any questions you've got, John. Absolutely. And some of the best innovations come out of Israel. I love Israel and healthcare IT. But, you know, as you look at it, and it sounds like you have a, a great background in, in health IT and have been doing it a long time, which is great. But, you know, where are we at in really gleaning the value from data in healthcare? You know, as you kind of mentioned, you've been working on data projects forever. We've been capturing it in EHRs and all sorts of different systems. But where are we at in really gleaning the value from that data? I think it's a great question. And I think aspirationally, there's always going to be more to do. Yeah. I think in the last you know, 10, maybe 15 years, going back to the original kind of EHR stimulus checks that went out around meaningful use, um, I think there's been a, a desire to get more out of, to get more data digitized mm-hmm. and then get more out of that data as it relates to quality improvement, performance improvement, uh, potentially um, innovations, therapeutics, that sort of thing. Uh, I think today we're we're you know we're we're at the end on the digitization side. I think most healthcare data um, in the United States and increasingly around the world is digital. Now, is it discrete? You know, maybe yeah. not quite yet. Uh-huh. Um, but we've got more. You know, maybe the best way to answer it, John, is um, we've got more data today that is digital and is um, mineable, uh, parsable, uh, than we had yesterday. And we're going to have way more tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, It's probably a good way to think about it. And I think the value we get out of it, you know, it depends on the, the, the seat you're in. Um, you know, if you look on the life science side, I think, I think you would say that you've got some pretty, um, sophisticated, uh, and mature users of data in decision-making. I think clinical trials, a great example of 
data to help define direction forward. In fact, I think clinical trials are kind of built around using data to, yeah, you know, tell everyone it's right. safe and okay to kind of, you know, take a certain drug or uh-huh. um, uh, perform a certain therapeutic. On the, um, on the kind of ambulatory and or hospital operations side, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface. It's not as mature um, an environment where data is readily accessible. Data can be used to inform decision-making, whether that's care pathway or whether that's, you know, kind of staffing model or throughput model. I think we're starting that uh, revolution. We're maybe two, three, four, five years into more of a data-driven um, uh, operator mentality in healthcare. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, bell-shaped curve, you, you see a lot of really amazing things happening in one site and maybe uh, areas for improvement in other sites. Uh, yeah. But I think we are starting that journey. And I think, I think there's a ton of value that gets gleaned in those, uh, uh, in those examples of it, like I was just sharing. I mean, your first point is so fascinating to think about because when you're optimizing a billing system, right? When you're rolling out a PM system or billing system for a healthcare organization, you kind of reach a point where you're, you're finished, right? I mean, sure, you can create new workflows and you can, you can do, you know, you can add AI, you can do a few things, but with analytics and with data, that you're never done, right? <laughs> like, especially with the complexity that is healthcare, like we could make improvement, we could glean value, but we can never feel satisfied that we're done. I mean, that's such a fascinating insight because there's so much more work to do to understand. I mean, using your clinical trials example, like shouldn't there be a thousand different clinical trials happening all the time within these EHRs to understand what's the best treatment plan and what's the best way to care for a patient. And we saw that kind of accelerated during COVID. Is that kind of how you guys view it as trying to leverage this data to add some more clinical rigor to the decision-making or, or how does MD clone look at it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I really like the way you were describing it, how there, you know, there ought to be kind of more, there ought to be more innovation projects going on, more quality improvements uh, happening in all of these different healthcare systems. Uh, our experience, my experience in the last 20 some odd years, it feels great to say that 20 years, uh, mm-hmm. you know, works both ways. It's gravitas, but it's also like, I'm, maybe I'm not the youngest <laughs> guy in the room too. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so the, um, the um, in, in my experience working with, with many of these health systems, the data environment to, to support what you were just describing, that aspiration you were describing around, hey, shouldn't there be more innovation? Should we be uh, uh, improving care plans daily uh, and not necessarily leveraging a standard that was built 15 years ago? Isn't there real world data that can help help us uh, change behavior? Uh, I think that's right on. I think the challenge with that is the data environments don't lend themselves to Mm -hmm. the, the lay clinician or service line leader or medical staffer or clinical writer or whoever to engage with their data and come up with those innovations actually requires an army of analysts uh, and um, and an army of uh, clinicians that can go kind of understand what got coded and in whatever is in the uh, the arcane kind of underbelly of the of the system um, in uh, in question whether it's an EHR or an EDW or an RCM system. I think the key challenge we've had is activating all of the different people inside of a health system so that they can uh, be a part of the innovation cycle, I think is lacking. And yeah, candidly, it's one of the problems we try to solve. Synthetic's one of the one of the ways to kind of get to more distributed data availability 
and we could talk about that here later. But I think, you know, outside of MD clone, and I'm happy to talk about MD clone till the cows come home. Um, the principal challenge in healthcare today, as, as I see it, is how do we take these amazing people who have chosen roles in medicine and who are at heart often awfully innovative, you know, extremely intelligent people? Um, how do we activate them into this innovation cycle? To me, there's a lot of untapped potential there. And, you know, in many cases, our, our kind of mission as a company is to help get there. Yeah. And it's so hard because those people want to be part of those innovative efforts, but you know, how do you fit that into a 15 minute appointment? Right. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, how do you push that to the point of care? It's a, it's a tough challenge, but interestingly enough, I actually think, and you know, I'd love to hear your views on this as well. I think we have to have this data and this understanding of data and use of data to be able to move to the value-based care world, the risk-based contracts that, you know, where all of healthcare is going. Is that how you see it as well, as far as reimbursement that we need to have this data, we need to understand this data and use this data, Absolutely. you know, as we move towards it? A absolutely, John. Um, thanks for letting me cut you off, even as you ended yeah, that, uh, that question. Um, uh, there may be some low-hanging fruit that maybe doesn't require real mastery of data environment uh, and exploration um, around, you know, maybe, you know, disease protocols that are just very well understood and or quality measures or, you know, kind of cost drivers that are, again, very well understood. But as soon as you get past that low hanging fruit, my sense is the winners and losers in this space will be the ones who really understand how to uh, engage their data, their experience, and then turn that into behavior change that drives to uh, better care. The, the value-based care model or risk-based contracts, you know, uh, uh, a lot of different angles to them, of course. And, you know, it's, it's probably too simplistic to say, look, it's really trying to codify the, the quadruple aim. Hmm. Um, uh, but let's take, let's move aside how simplistic that is. Um, in the case of healthcare, there's a ton. We are in a target-rich environment related to opportunities to reduce cost and improve quality at the same time, right? To get there, uh, to get there uh, is, you know, in, in inherently a data challenge on the front end. Who do I focus on first? Where's my maximal opportunity as a health system or as a health plan in a value-based care arrangement to go affect change that's going to uh, maximize margin and or maximize quality? Or in my, my simple scenario, where are the places in my health system today that if I improve quality significantly, I also improve my bottom line? That's a data yeah. challenge. That is. That's a good yeah. description. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, we're moving there, right? <laughs> like people are trying to figure this out and how to get more value. I mean, I don't know how many CIOs I talk to that are like, okay, now we have all this data in the HR. Now I'm trying to figure out how to get the real value out of that data. So I think it's an ongoing discussion. But I think what's interesting, you know, as we kind of head more towards synthetic data and the idea of creating data in order to help improve your processes. Like, why do we need synthetic data? Don't we have enough data? I mean, you already talked about, you know, we've kind of digitized, which I thought it was fascinating that you said we kind of digitize all of the health information. You know, I, I, you know, I would add a layer on that that says, but we're going to have more sensors that produce more and better data, which, you know, I think, you know, just as another layer on top, right? But it's like, we have all that data. Why do we need synthetic data? Isn't what the data we have enough? 
Uh, another great question. So the, the, I think the rejoinder to that is who's allowed to access it mm. and are there limits on access and what you're allowed to do with it and how you're allowed to do with it. Uh, so for example, if there's a care pathway uh, that a third party wants to work, uh, wants to work on associated with um, a certain subsegment of a diabetic population and they want to work with a health system and maybe there's an angle there associated with a medical device or a specific mm -hmm. diagnostic can the health system share data readily with that third party? Unlikely. Yeah. Internally inside the health system, data use requirements, patient privacy is important. Mm -hmm. and, and health systems guard against the release of, uh, of private patient information. Uh, and there are different layers of, of uh, security and privacy requirement built into the uh, access protocols in any of these health systems. Um, uh, but what if that gets in the way of actually engaging your data environment to find the next best protocol. What we yeah. find in many health systems around the United States, around the world, is that not only does it get in the way, um, it's it, it can be kind of uh, not a two-week blocker, not a four-month blocker, but a <laughs> nine-month, 12-month, 18-month blocker. <laughs> and if, exactly, exactly. And if, you're, and if you're talking about a third party, forget about it. Mm -hmm. Then you have to start thinking about, oh, let me, uh, perhaps we can find ways where I can scrub things out of the data to remove any of the patient identification Right. Um, and other items, and then maybe I can ship it off, but you're losing kind of key elements of the data at that point, you're losing features. So um, uh, what synthetic does in the context of, of your question is it allows for the same data set, the same story that original data tells, real patient data tells, it allows a health system to very simply generate a fictitious data set that looks a whole lot like that real data but it doesn't have any one-to-one uh, -one correlation. The, the rows um, uh, of the synthetic data, if rows are patients, the rows of the synthetic won't look like the rows of the original, but the story the synthetic output tells will be close enough to the original to do things like train machine learning or evaluate opportunity inside of a, of a population associated with the care pathway like I was describing before. That's what synthetic opens up. And again, it does it in two places, just for clarity. The first is internal around data access requirements that are internal. But I think even more importantly, it opens a health system to collaborate with the wide world around it so that innovation isn't just locked inside the four walls of a hospital. It can now be opened up to others who may have some really good ideas, whether they're like-minded institutions, you know, other health systems mm -hmm. uh, or third parties like uh, folks that live in life science or sure. diagnostics or wherever. Well, and that's, that's a pretty compelling reason. Is the way you create this synthetic data, do, do you partner with the health system and kind of let the AI go in and learn about their data and then create the synthetic data? Or can the AI just create the synthetic data without any sort of you know, deep dive into their actual data? So I, I love that question. And the answer is, um, I know there's a, a, a bit of news today about a company called Nuance, uh -huh. uh, but the answer is nuanced, my friend. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, congrats to the Nuance team, by the way, and to the Microsoft team. Uh, yeah, if that's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> Great big news. And um, I'm exciting to have Microsoft um, in this space again. Um, so the, the process of creating synthetic data with MD-Clone um, is, uh, is a unique process. And this is the only way to do synthetic data. So, you know, there may be some other models out there. Okay. But uh, the way we do it is we create synthetic data sets on demand. 
Mm-hmm. It's not really, it, from our perspective, it's not possible technically to take an entire data set. Hey, all the patients, you know, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. My next door neighbor is uh, St. Joseph's Hospital, which is part of the Piedmont network. Hey, mm-hmm. if I'm Piedmont, can I take every single piece of data I have and then create a synthetic data set that mirrors every single piece? Probably not because I'll get to identifiable data there um, across the features um, uh, that gotcha. I'm looking for. On the other hand, and what our platform allows is the exploration work um, uh, around a specific question. Uh, so for instance, show me my patients that are diabetic that have uh, these certain features and maybe there are 15 things I wanna know about them. At that moment, uh, you can pull a, an original data set full of uh, real patients or based on either permissions, the only thing I'm allowed to see may be a synthetic data set uh, or maybe I have a choice and I wanna look at original or synthetic. Um, uh, at that moment is when we create the synthetic set. So it's based on the features that I'm requesting for a specific question that I'm asking. Um, so it's a slice of the data. Indeed, but you can run that slice. You can do that uh, for any question that you ask, as long as the as long as the data that you've pulled wouldn't be um, identifiable based on a, a, a very small uh, number of available sure. data. Um, then you can create a synthetic data set. Um, but at the permission level in the platform, you could tell, for instance, a user hey, the only data you have access to is synthetic data. So whatever question you intend to ask, um, it will be, the, the answer will mirror what it would look like on the original side, but the only data you'll have access to is, uh, is uh, filled with fictitious patients. And is the synthetic data, I mean, how, how do we know that it's similar enough to the real data that, you know, that it's worth, you know, doing the analysis. Sure. Is it because the AI engine learned from the original data and then now it's able to use that model? Is that how you approach it? Yep, there is some learning that goes on, but um, for every study that we generate, every synthetic data set that we generate, there's a compendium report that shows the, the organization how the synthetic data compares to the original data. So that's mm-hmm. one thing that comes out. It's, a, it's an artifact of, uh, of um, uh, pressing the run button uh, in the engine. Um, and then, you know, for f- kind of further kind of proof points, there have been several academic studies, and John, maybe as a follow-up, I'll, I'll share with you the academic studies, That'd where the, the data scientists and informaticists in healthcare have kind of taken a crack at validating that the synthetic data does indeed tell the same story as the original data, and they've done it with a um, uh, kind of, you know, kind of peer-reviewed scientific hat-on, uh, so you can see what the, uh, what the uh, real smart people in the space say. I think... No matter what, though, um, based on your question, it does sound a little bit magical, right? Mm-hmm. I, hey, I can create a, a data set that looks very similar to a uh, to a real data set, um, and it will tell the same story. Um, uh, every healthcare organization that we've contracted with, one of the first things they do is self-validate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I and, can imagine. Yeah, it, and it, make, it makes complete sense, and we support them. It's about trust, uh, right? Yeah, it, it, indeed. The same way, um, uh, even if it's original data, I mean, th- the the... Uh, for the folks listening into this interview, I'm sure many of them have had an experience where they've run an analysis, they've put together a report, let's say it's a quality report. Yeah. And if there's something wrong with the report because <laughs> of data that was pulled, it, it may be a trust challenge then yeah. with whoever- Even with the real data, report. right? I with mean, real data. humans entering the data for sure. The, yeah, <laughs> you got it. So you, get, you got to get through that wall uh, with synthetic too, maybe even more so. And um, anyway, it, it makes sense to us and we support our customers when they go through that validation effort to make what, what may sound magical um, uh, turn out to be entirely real and entirely um, useful. 
So where will synthetic data play in this? Like, is it really for those third parties where you don't want to do the IRB proposal to get to the real data? You want to protect the patient's health information? Is that the applications you're seeing most? Or is there a reason to use synthetic data, not just around privacy? Uh, well, the, 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 the value of synthetic in particular is around privacy. If you didn't have... Um... If you didn't have the privacy requirements, then the original data would be would you be fine. It, right? Yeah, so I think synthetic speaks to the privacy requirement. Our platform um, uh, has to respond to other challenges in the space associated with what I was saying earlier around this kind of distributed environment. It, the privacy element isn't what's holding back the line provider who wants to do innovation work around a, a clinical protocol. Right. That may be one thing that's holding her back, but the other two things that are holding her back are her data is organized in maybe a less than efficient way, number one, and number two, the vocabulary required to go do a query and visualize that, mm -hmm. that vocabulary, the, the, the um, uh, capability set, the kind of programming skills, she may not have those things and she may need right. to rely on an army of people to help her. Uh, the other elements of our platform allow for self-service. We organize data in a certain way so that that provider, in my example, she can um, very quickly ask the system a question, whether it's synthetic or original, and then within seconds be able to visualize answers to come up with, to come up with an insight that um, may be useful. Now, what synthetic does is says, great, Dr. Jones, who I just mentioned, you know, she's able to do that inside your four walls. Now you can do, now you can take Dr. Dr. Jones and amplify her efforts with, uh, you know, kind of partnership with a third party that lives around the corner from you uh, who may have expertise in the space. Interesting. Yeah. Are there any other downsides to d synthetic data? I mean, we talked about the privacy just makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. uh, are there any other challenges or even some benefits to synthetic data that, you know, over regular data? You know, I think the other benefits, you know, there, there's organizational privacy too, not just patient privacy. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we're very, uh, kind of connected to the healthcare world. And we think about patient privacy kind of more than anything else as it relates to synthetic. Uh, but there are other benefits potentially, not, not just in making your data available to others, but potentially um, aggregating data with others. So imagine a scenario where you have like-minded institutions that want to do work together and they, and they wish to aggregate data on demand really quickly. Yeah. If they're using a data organization, a hierarchy model from MD clone, uh, and they each generate synthetic data sets, uh, uh, we can, in seconds, combine those and create a much larger data set. Um, so there are kind of collaboration uh, benefits uh, beyond this kind of third-party access, collaboration benefits that, that kind of span um, to kind of larger data sets, you know, global health initiatives. You know, we have a great example. We have a customer in Tel Aviv, Sheba Medical Center, that's working directly with the Jefferson Health Center, or the Jefferson Health team, excuse me, in uh, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. um, Jefferson staffers are, are able to access Sheba data in real time and work directly with their colleagues at Sheba um, to ask questions that they're interested in of the Jefferson population. Hmm. Um, it just enables those sorts of interactions. And so the value isn't necessarily of the data, the although the, the data will support this. The value is, hey, wait a minute, some of these collaboration opportunities that you know, just seemed way too hard 
uh, yesterday may be kind of imminently available to these institutions tomorrow. Well, I think that's fascinating. I did an interview recently with, uh, I think it was with NVIDIA around an AI project they were doing, and they incorporated the AI learnings across 20 organizations across, you know, multiple countries, et cetera. And the reason they wanted to do that was for generalizable AI, i.e. if I just do it in, you know, South Alabama, I'm only going to get a certain population in yep. South Alabama, probably not as many Asians, probably not as many, whatever, right? You know, they don't have as many, but when they do it in Alabama and New York and Oxford and Japan and you know, sure. then create generalizable AI, which it sounds like synthetic data could help us down that path, which is how do I create an AI that doesn't just work for the population of that one hospital, but works across every hospital? Is that kind of what you're describing? You've got it, uh, John. I can't wait to talk to your friends at NVIDIA. Um, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the challenge with what they did, and you know, I, I'm not privy to any of the details of this project, but I suspect that to get access to all of that data and then to build and tune the AI models and whatever machine uh, learning work that they were performing um, wasn't an easy task. I suspect it was difficult. I suspect getting through the regulatory red tape to go do that work was no fun, lots of lawyers. I suspect the data management piece was also no fun and took a lot of time and a lot of resources. And our job at the platform level is to make that a whole lot simpler. And if I can, yeah. you know, we were talking before about data projects, nine months, maybe nine years, I think was your joke. Um, I want that to be nine minutes. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. The way they avoided it was actually the, they only shared the AI findings. So the data resided in the organization. So they never aggregated the data. They didn't do any of that. They just did the learning and then they just shared the learnings, not the data. So okay. that's how they avoided it, which the reason they avoided it was exactly what you described, which is if you would have asked any of those organizations to share that data up to a repository so the AI could learn, they, they'd be like, I can never get approval. In fact, they said as much to me on the interview. They said, I cannot get that approval. The reason I got this approved is because we weren't sharing the data. But I imagine it's very similar for synthetic uh, data. They're like, oh, I can share synthetic data because it's not any of our personal data. Yeah, I think that's where we're heading. Um, and I, I want to be clear, my sense is that the, uh, the, the privacy regulations in place are useful and as a human being, as a patient often, as a father of patients, a son of patients, right? I want uh, uh, the best of both worlds. I want there to be privacy requirements yeah. um, because I don't want my stuff available on the World Wide Web and I don't want anyone else's for that matter. Um, and I want every bit of aggregated data possible, every bit of data possible to help inform yep. a better healthcare future. I want both those things. I think our view is um, in many cases, synthetic and lead the way. And you asked a question earlier, John, I just wanna cycle back. I know I sound like an evangelist for synthetic data and I am one. Uh, there is, um, There are uses, excuse me, and uh, scenarios where it doesn't work so well. Yeah, um, if, what if are some the, examples of that? Yeah, the total population, if you're talking about very, very rare diseases and you, you can't get past a threshold number so that none of the data is identifiable, um, uh, you know, that's, that's one example. If you don't know what question you want to ask on the front end and instead you want to let the AI do all the question asking, 
um, then the number, you know, in our model, the number of features may be slightly limited. Let's say, you know, we, we would include up to 150 or 200 some odd features. If you want 10,000 features, you start to get very close to identifiable ranges um, uh, once the feature set gets too high. Uh, uh, interesting. And then, you know, the only other thing I'll mention is um, in the genomics world, um, you know, if, I'm, if, if, if some of the fields are um, identifiable by nature, meaning DNA level, yeah, you can't create synthetic around that. Um, uh, and so, th you know, those are some those are some areas where you know we haven't quite cracked the nut. Although our smart people are um, are thinking about ways to apply the technology in those places too. Uh, and I think, look, I think we're at the front end here. the The use of synthetic data in almost all industries is starting to take off. I think in healthcare. Um, Again, we're at the front end, but uh, a whole lot of growth in front of us. Well, I mean, you're starting down a whole other discussion. We may have to have you back for, you know, I mean, we saw it with Ascension giving all the data to Google and how patients didn't like that, right? And so I think every, you know, we, we, we recently saw a collaboration, I think it was 30 hospitals coming together to say, hey, let's share our data. So everyone's thinking about how to do this because they know there's the value there. But I think many are saying, how do I do it in a way that respects my patient's privacy? And to your point, that respects my organizational privacy from competitors. And eventually, you know, as they all start acquiring up, uh, everyone's becoming everyone's competitor, it seems. Yes, dead on, John. And uh, uh, look, I think the um, I, your, your initial question around data and kind of where it's used and kind of is there already too much? I think whether we like it or not, it will be, if not the currency, it will be the leading indicator of the currency in, in terms of how we operate as a healthcare system, um, uh, more so tomorrow than yesterday. I'm, I'm positive of that. I don't know what questions people are going to ask uh, five years from now, but I'm positive that access to their data environment and getting a fast answer will be a competitive differentiator for them. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I think uh, lots of strange bedfellows these days. And I, and, you know, I don't see that stopping. I think that's only going to get stranger. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, this was really insightful. I uh, appreciate you sharing all these insights and perspectives. Uh, I'm excited to see where all this data leads. And I think synthetic data is a, an interesting opportunity that many people don't understand and haven't really thought about. So thanks everyone for watching. And if you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check us out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Josh. You bet, John. Take care.